Hello, good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else, or morning, or whatever time it happens to be where you are. Given that the COVID situation is still continuing and we are not able to have our sessions as regularly as we'd like to, we're going to continue providing you with the other sorts of information and entertainment. And this week it is a selection of lore specifically on the deities. Uh, most specifically, this is going to be because there are so many. I've chosen to do the deities that have given dreams to the party so far. And as that continues, we'll we'll add in more and more until eventually, hopefully, uh, you folks are all as comfortable with them as people who, you know, actually live in this world. Uh, I'm going to go primarily in this into what the deities are in relation to the world, but I am interested at some point at least as well to talk about my personal process behind designing them and in more of a meta sense what they were supposed to illustrate or draw off of because most of them do have anchors in the real world as well in various mythologies. Some of them are probably quite obvious and you will notice them, but I'm just going to jump right into it. The Night of Twin Moons was when the party first received dreams. They all received a dream from both a heavenly and hellish entity. In some instances, more than one, or rather only in one particular instance. So I'm going to go through character by character and talk about their two, or in the one instance, three, who gave them a dream. So Yolanda, up first, had two figures featuring prominently in hers, Bellarel and Zlalga. Bellarel is a goddess. She's the goddess of passion, hope, freedom, other similarly related things. She is actually one of a pair of twins, along with her brother, Galarel, and is commonly called upon to be a muse and inspiration to artists, along with her brother. Uh, depicted generally as a long-haired maiden with red hair and hidden ears, potentially of elven or human descent, pale skin dotted with freckles, and generally covered either by nothing save for her own long hair, or only by tattered scraps of ratty fabric. These aspects are meant to symbolize the power of hope and passion to overcome meager beginnings or lack of support. She's also often called upon by lovers seeking direction or protection, particularly those who are not supported by their situation, be it by society or by family, and have little to defend themselves with, save for the force of their love for each other. So, people who have a taboo love, for instance, maybe a same-sex relationship in a city where that is not generally permitted, they might pray to Bellarel for aid, for protection, or for guidance to get them out of that city as well. Uh, somewhat interestingly, not necessarily expectedly, given that she's a goddess of love often, uh, her followers actually eschew weddings entirely, believing that any union between lovers should exist only through the passion of the people involved. Any rules or laws that get involved are considered to be shackles holding them together and considered to be heretical. Her followers also generally uh, are very much into charity. They view very kindly those poorer off than themselves, poverty-stricken, homeless, outcast, and frequently open up their homes or Bellarel's temples or their purses to those who need places to stay, those who need meals to eat. So the other entity in Yolanda's first dream there was Lalga, who is often called the Lord of Ambition. 
He is a hellish figure, the devil of seduction, passion, scheming. He's generally acknowledged to be a shapeshifter. Uh, he regularly changes form, gender, appearance, all sorts of things to attain whatever his goals are. He is often regularly shown, though, as a Cambion-like figure, with wings and a barbed tail, red skin, short black horns, black eyes and lips, and a devious, devilish grin. He's considered to be a seducer, not necessarily in the explicit physical sense, but in the much broader general term. He is a seducer of minds, a seducer of bodies, a seducer of hearts. He's often blamed for the appearance of tieflings, when the appearance of a tiefling needs to be blamed on somebody. Particularly those who share key features with him. So, winged tieflings, tieflings with a similar type of tail, tieflings with similar skin color, tieflings with similar designs of horns, etc. Uh, or those who count charm and romance amongst their skills or pursuits. Devotees of Zlalga often include those who are attempting to attract a romantic interest, particularly against obstacles, whether those obstacles entail something like extant partners in the picture who wouldn't approve, or stated lack of interest, or really any other circumstance. In general, Zlalga supports any who are willing to strive for what they desire. It doesn't really matter what that desire is, but generally gets interpreted in certain fashions by followers. Uh, followers of Zlalga are do tend to be known for their charms, their ability to spin convincing tales, as well as perhaps something of a disregard for the effects of their actions. If a husband is angered by his wife's tryst, that's their problem to sort out, not the problem of the follower who undertook said tryst. Not universally, of course. These things are all general. As a result, he's often prayed to by con artists or other charlatans who are seeking to gain, through charms, a particular goal without necessarily wanting to accept culpability for whatever adverse effects might result. So that sort of covers Yolanda's. We're going to move on then to Quixie's. Quixie had three, most technically, but you'll see why that's the case. Quixie had a heavenly and hellish entity of information, libraries, investigation, the mind generally. Vargilar being the heavenly entity, and Ra'aledrav being the hellish entity. The two of them share very similar depictions. They are never depicted as humanoids. Ra'aledrav is depicted as a black-paged thick tome bound in scaly leather with a quill made of a manticore's tail spine, the quill writing in white ink from below the book. Never spoken of in terms of gender or other mortal concepts, infrequently called upon for direct intervention. The sigil of Ra'aledrav is generally borne upon documents and contracts. It's seen as a mark of intractability. To sign a lawyer's contract bearing Ra'aledrav's sigil is to swear oneself to that contract's contents. And the symbol is also often integrated into the coats of arms of institutions that carry out those sorts of things. Places like bureaucracies, practices of law, schools. Ralejdrav is fairly well known and regarded despite little to no involvement in the mortal sphere. They are considered to contain all the happenings of the universe within their pages, but they take little interest in affairs and generally express very little power. The one exception to this is situations in which sometimes tomes or libraries are saved from destruction 
whilst everything around them isn't. So a whole city might burn, but its central library is left untouched. A ravaging warband might leave a cart full of books completely undamaged while they take everything else. Vargilar is quite similar. Also never depicted as a humanoid is the heavenly entity of information, knowledge, etc., and is depicted as a white-paged tome bound in silk with a quill made of an angel feather. The quill writes in black ink from above the book. Never spoken of in terms of gender or other mortal concepts, infrequently called upon for direct intervention, Vardular's symbol tends to inhabit places of sharing of knowledge. So libraries or schools, things like that. It is not infrequently written upon contracts, but generally not as a binding clause, but rather as a clause to instill some protection upon the information involved and the exchange taking place. They similarly are well-known and well-regarded despite very little involvement in the mortal sphere. They are considered to contain all of the happenings of the universe within their pages and take little interest in any affairs mortal or divine. The, again, main exception being when places of knowledge are left untouched despite destruction. Quixie in her dream was contacted by these two entities, as well as a third, Agdorad, who is a hellish entity, the devil slash deviless of subversion, rebellion, uh, frequently as well, lust. Agdorad is shown as an amalgamation, uh, male and female pieces of many different species, four legs, two with humanoid feet, two befurred and with hooved feet, like a minotaur, a tiefling's tail, uh, humanoid genitals of various expressions, arms thick with orcish sinew, green-skinned, three heads, uh, two heads, one lizard-like and one humanoid, face each other, kissing. The third one, wolfish, looks forward hungrily, lips drawn back from sharp fangs. Agdorad is a patron of those who seek what are seen as less conventional desires, particularly of a sexual or intimate nature. They are also very frequently called upon by those who break rules in general, those who break rules in defiance rather than through ambition, uh, protesters and rioters, those who would see the prevailing powers done away with, rebels and revolutionaries. Agdorad is often prayed to by the oppressed, and then worship of them is, does tend to be swept under the rug as those followers rise to power and begin oppressions of their own, but the Lord of Subversion is always glad to offer their urgent whispers to those who would seek to topple that new regime sometimes all the more violently than the last. That does it for Quixie. Moving on to Armina. Armina got two entities. Heavenly entity was Salmti, the gender unknown god or goddess of magic, discovery, invention, and other similar aspects. They are depicted frequently, though it's somewhat perhaps contradictory for a heavenly entity, as a tiefling. Salmti is enveloped by robes of a hundred colors, only their horned head from the nose up and their pronged tail protruding. 
seen as a patron to mages as well as those who seek generally. Psalm tea is a particularly fervently held choice by those magic users who choose to go beyond the walls of their colleges or their libraries and go out into the world to push the envelope of knowledge even further. Those who dig deep to find lost secrets, who search the world for new alchemical ingredients, who permeate the weave of reality to find new threads of magic to develop or pluck at, these are Psalm Tea's faithful. So in general, not necessarily a deity of scholars, but rather of researchers, ones who are seeking to develop something new. The other entity that Armino was visited by was Alblela, a hellish entity, the deviless of trickery, laughter, deception. Often considered a prankster, Alblela is depicted as a lizard folk with a thick tail and a crooked grin. She's considered to be a trickster. She is commonly attended to by bards and rogues, or children. She's often considered to be responsible for dreams or nightmares as well, and as such has bonds with the ephemeral aspect of things. So she is, she is sometimes prayed to people beset by nightmares. If they don't find any other recourse elsewhere, she might be one who they would turn to, although there are rumors that she has a tendency to respond by simply replacing those nightmares with something that she would find funny. The tricks and pranks of her faithful are sometimes seen as not necessarily more mean-spirited, but certainly sometimes are seen that way. And they're, they're often seen as perhaps a little bit less regarding of the general peace. But, I mean, quite frankly, in general, pranksters are not considered to be the most concerned with the world at large having smoothness in its operations. They, they tend to be a fan of throwing a wrench in the works. Next up was Planeswalker. Planeswalker was visited first by Beshbebti, the god of control, governance, and might, sometimes considered to be second in line to the throne of Eluar, the high throne of heaven. Beshbebti is referred to as the successor, occasionally, by angels or other heavenly messengers and throughout texts down through history. Historical accounts speak of another god who shared certain purview. Modern scholars are at odds to whether this is truly references to a different deity or whether they are misattributions to Beshbebti. Regardless, this other deity is certainly no longer worshipped, and Beshbebti is, particularly by order or law-driven cities and societies or persons. His seal and image that seal being a battle hammer shattering on a shield and his image being that of a strong and stoic-looking Goliath wearing an open-fronted white robe, often depicted with his arms spread out wide and a large warhammer clutched in one hand. They are often found within jails or prisons, houses of law, courthouses, outposts of police or wardens, and the like. He is not, however, in general a supporter of war believing that those with true strength need not fight. They either refrain or they are victorious. 
any sort of protracted fight is considered not necessarily to be an explicit sign of weakness by Beshbebti or his followers, but not to be a sign of might. Usurpers might find themselves in Beshbebti's good books, depending on what methods they use to attain their power, but warlords often are not and find themselves somewhat at odds, despite perhaps expecting support. The other entity who visited Planeswalker was Zbal, the deviless of vengeance, retribution, repayment. Zbal is depicted as a disfigured gorgon, her face always hidden behind fine silken scarves, but her hair of snakes clearly visible and ready to strike. She is thickly scarred, marks of blades, whips, and burns tattooed over her skin. Several snakes of her hair have been beheaded. She is missing her entire right arm from the elbow onward. The stump of that severed arm has attached to it a long, thin blade glistening and dripping with poison. And her remaining hand, which is missing fingers, clutches vicious kukri with white knuckles. Scars of ropes and manacles are clear at her one wrist and around her neck, just below the scars which cover her face. She is regularly prayed to by those who have been abused, harmed, or otherwise wronged, and who seek vengeance, and those who are willing to pay any price asked of them in order to find their revenge. She, however, is not considered to be tolerant of collateral damage in that quest for revenge. Repayment of the vengeance needs to be the primary goal, not the general ambition of seeking the thing out. And as you can see, a lot of these deities do have crossover in purview, and so people might pray to multiple. That's kind of the whole point of a pantheon. But Zbal is regularly prayed to by those who have very directed senses of their vengeance. Those who have one specific target in mind, they know exactly what was done to wrong them, they know exactly what they want to do to recoup that loss or repay that pain. Blind vengeance is not something that Zbal generally supports. So that's a bit of an overview of a few of the various deific figures in this, at least. That's eight to start with. There are certainly plenty, plenty more, and they will come up throughout the story, and I'll keep doing more things like this, particularly if people are interested. If anyone has more questions about one of these, feel free to throw those at us on Twitter or really anywhere else, any of our various platforms. Uh, go ahead and follow us, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon, Spotify, and Podbean. We're trying to set up things pretty much everywhere we can think of that we think there's much of a point to do so. If there is a platform that you particularly love and you would love to interact with us on, but we're not there, maybe send us a message at one of the others and we'll look at, at setting that up. Thank you very much for listening to this. I hope you have a good day or evening or a good tomorrow at the very least. Stay safe, stay healthy, and talk to you next time.